Chambliss. I'm Professor of English and a core faculty in the Consortium for Critical Diversity and Digital Age Research, or CEDAR, at Michigan State University. I'm also the Val Berriman Curator of History at the MSU Museum, and I will be your host for this episode of Every Tongue's Got to Confess. Every Tongue's Got to Confess is a podcast designed to document the dynamic discussion about education, enterprise, and institutions, and activism intrinsic to the ideology that found Edenville and shaped his most famous daughter. The purpose of this podcast series is to explore issues facing communities of color globally by listening to the voices of attendees at the Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities. Founded by the Associated Preserve of Edenville, the Zora Festival has long embraced an educational aim inspired by Zora Neale Hurston's celebration of Black culture and life. This production is a joint project between the Associated Preserve of Edenville community, Michigan State University, and the University of Central Florida. During the Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities, Interviewer Tiffany Penniman talked with Chesia Burke about her work in Afrofuturism. Burke received her master's degree in African American Studies from Georgia State University, and currently she is a double fellow, receiving both the Florida Education Fund McKnight Fellowship and the PhD Graduate Student Fellowship from the University of Florida. She's an editor, educator, and author of comic books and speculative fiction, including The Strange Crimes of Little Africa and let's play white. Have a listen to their conversation. Tell me a little bit about yourself and what brings you here to the Zora Hurston Festival. Um, I'm a speculative fiction um, writer. Um, I've been writing for many years. Um, I am here actually for the conference, um, the Afrofuturism conference. Um, yeah. Okay, and so what inspired you to get into Black speculative fiction or um, in Afrofuturism in general? Okay, so I have always been interested in um, speculative fiction. Um, my mother was a real horror buff, and um, I remember growing up. <clears throat> listening and watching lots and lots of horror films and from there um, when I was young you know I just started writing and uh, so I was kind of one of the only kids who knew you know who both you know Vlad Dracula was right as well as you know knew you know kind of some of the real histories behind um, both speculative, um, you know, monsters, if you will, as well as um, speculative figures, if you will, like monsters and things like that. So. Okay. And so, like, in your own words, how would you define the term Afrofuturism? And, like, when you're talking to students, how do you explain it to them? Okay. Um, so, um, I define Afrofuturism as um, the site at which Black um, writers, right, um, use the speculative or... Um, somehow use the supernatural in order to reimagine a future um, for themselves um, 
and they are doing so by both, you know, using Sankofa, reaching back to the past, but also they're doing that very specifically. Um, they're reaching back to the past in order to reframe a future for themselves, right? And it's all about making sure that one has autonomy over both them, their bodies and themselves, as well as their work, right? And how it is that they can talk about and write about and imagine themselves. So that's usually how I'll talk about it. Okay, and then what do you think it offers society? Like, is it a critique? Is it um, like a commentary? Mm -hmm. What is it to you? I think it's all of those things. I think it's, you know, I think it's critique. I think it's commentary. You know, it's 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 critiquing in that, you know, by, by, by a long reimagining a future, what you're doing is you are highlighting the problems that are in our present, right? And, and, reformulating this idea around what could be possible and thus, you know, um, critiquing what is happening, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not just about, you know, where the future, where we lie in the future, but how do we get there and what has to change in order for us to get there. Okay. And yeah. what are those problems that you see is like happening right now? Well, you know, obviously I think what's happening, you know, in like, in you know in just the american context right um there seems to be a real push toward um you know a, a real push toward going backward if you will um so the the ways a lot of you know things happening like with trump being in office a lot of the um politics that are happening but with voter registration a lot of the um ideals around you know um women's bodies like all of those things are being pushed I wouldn't even say push, I'd say pull back, right? Um, and what's happening, I think what Afrofuturism um, allows is for us to be able to re-examine those things, but also to be able to put a black face on, a, a black face in a place that has not, you know, that hasn't existed in the past mm -hmm. or even in the present. Yes, and then when you think of writers like Zora Neale Hurston, Octavia Butler, um, but specifically Hurston, just for the sake of this conference, what right. does that really mean to you? How do you establish that connection between her and her Afrofuturism? Right. Uh, I think what's um, really interesting is I'm using um, Zora Neale Hurston in my um, dissertation. I think what's really interesting uh, with her is that she was very, very much um, interested in looking at black peoples throughout the di diaspora, right? What is it about, you know, what is it about us? She was interested in women, of course, black women, and she was interested very much in what is it, you know, what is it that, what are some of our samenesses? What are some of our differences? And she goes out and she does that as an anthropologist. She goes out and seeks those things. And I think that, um, the, I think that the society that we live in now makes it more possible for us to be able to bridge those, you know, those differences, those, you know, I won't, I won't even say gaps, I, just the, the ways that we exist within society as different groups, right, while we're all the same, right, um, because we're all black people, but yet we are socially, um, um, we socially function different ways. So I think that because the society, um, we exist in a very global society, right? Mm -hmm. um, we're able to, in a, a lot of ways, to bridge um, the different groups of peoples in a very similar way that she did, mm -hmm. right? And I think that um, her, I, I do see her, what would I say? I'd say I see that her uniqueness, right? Her her 
unwillingness to accept mediocrity her um the the power that she had in just defining who she was i think um is really foundational in the way that we see and use um afrofuturism within you know our work mm -hmm. and then just speaking and hearing your conversations earlier on that point of unwillingness to accept mediocrity mm -hmm. how do you see that playing in your role today as an afrofuturist writer um, within the larger horror space yeah. and Afrofuturism. Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting question. I think that's very important, right? Because I think horror is defined very uh, simplistically. And horror doesn't and shouldn't, in my mind, be simplistic, right? It isn't about, uh, it doesn't have to be about mediocrity, right? It isn't just um, a um, evil force intruding on good that has to be defeated, right? That isn't the world that black people people and black bodies live in, right? Um, instead, very, it's very much about the world being, um, in a way, an evil force that works to suppress us, right? And so, in a lot of ways, um, when black people write about, um, when they write speculative fiction, they, they conjure an evil, you know, they conjure a presence. I won't say an evil force, obviously. They conjure a presence in order to help them deal with the reality, right? of their existence as black people in society. And that's very much different than what we see in um, in in um, in horror, you know, or in speculative works. And so I think that because um, I, I think because black people exist as a um, resistant force to uh, mainstream society and mainstream ideologies. I think that offers a very unique perspective to be able to critique, of course, um, the society, but also to be able to do it in a way that allows the speculative and allows us to, you know, um, reimagine, you know, what could be and what is possible. And so that isn't, that isn't in any way mediocre, mediocre, yeah. And I love what you said um, just about black people being that resistant force. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of times when we think about who is creating knowledge, who has the say in society, it's often like we're not the first people that are thought about. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And, you know, we, we are people of resistance, right? And that is, you know, globally, like, right? We have had to resist just through our, you know, just through the fact that we exist as black people in society, that is a resistance in and of itself, right? And being Americans specifically, you know, Americans um, are, in, in a lot of times, you know, globally, we aren't understood, right? And um, black Americans aren't understood, right? But I think that one of the important things for us to understand is that black Americans exist in a space to where one, they're black and so they resist on that level, but also the existence of America as a society is a resistant society, right? In order for us to, as in us America, to exist, we had to fight for our freedom, right? And that fight along, built along with the fight of the, you know, the black body creates what is the African-American. Right, and so we are, you know, a, a, a doubled, even triply resistant force within us. And so I think a lot of times it's difficult for others to understand who we are and why we're constantly battling. And I think it's because of both who we are um, as a group, but also who we are, you know, societally, right? Who we are as Americans. And then in that regard, do you think that black speculative writers have an even greater responsibility in their writing and their work? Actually, I do. I think it's very, I, I think, I, and I know that's a burden and it's unfair. 
I do understand that. It's very unfair to have oppressed people have to um, be the people and be the ones who I think it's very. I think it's 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 hard, and even wrong in a in a way to make them responsible for their own, you know, uh, freedom. <laughs> like there's something inherently wrong about that. But also when we live so. Another idea that I have around that is that when we live in a, a society that is about um, that does oppress us, right? Um, it's in a lot of ways important to be able to voice and acknowledge and um, you know um, use our use the power that we have to be able to resist. Now there are you know there are many people who you know talk about um, and that's a conversation that's happening actually this weekend there um, and very recently there are people that talk about not you know being tired you know of talking about race and I get that right mm -hmm. I'm tired of being oppressed because of my race right and, and even said that exactly I'm not, a race I'm, not a, I'm not a race woman right and I think that and that and I think that's where I differ from her uh, and I talk about it in my dissertation I differ from her but that being said um, People should be able to, to voice what they want, and, I, and I'm absolutely here for that. The voices, I think, that are most interesting are those who do understand the position that they're in, and they use that in order to most um, benefit the, you know, the society as a whole. Those tend to be the ones that aren't mediocre. They tend to me. Right, and they tend to be the ones that are uh, most interesting in the ways that they can reimagine society. Right, but it, I don't think that I don't think that we should force anyone to say or do anything or talk about or write about anything they don't want to. But I do think that it those I'm going to seek out the ones that are talking and, and doing and thinking about the things that most interest me, and that is freedom for a greater group of people. Okay, and so when you think of this idea, what does it look like in your work? So you have Let's Play White, um, The Shame Crimes of Little Africa, and lots more short mm -hmm. stories and fiction. Mm -hmm. So can you speak a little bit about your own work? Um, sure. So um, I tend to write about um, people in, um, and generally black women, and also um, very specifically black little girls, right? And I tend to... Um, Afrofuturism, I think, looks a little bit different when people think about my work, right? And because I write a lot of historical, um, a lot of historical fiction, right? And I think um, when I when I like to think about it, I um, I feel that I'm likely, right? I don't like to critique my work like that, um, but I do think that I'm likely reimagining. I'm reimagining a speculative past that offers a brighter future. Right, and so when I write about um, little black girls in you know in the South, um, in you know 1950s and 60s, I'm thinking about the ways that they themselves can um, can function within their society that gives that allows them a type of power that they may not have actually you know may not have necessarily been able to use. Right, and so with that. I think that it offers not only them a different future, but it offers their children and their children's children a future that is that would be bright and interesting and dynamic and all of the things that sometimes we don't necessarily see. Mm -hmm.
And then just in terms of um, like film too. So are you influenced by film in your own writing? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would definitely say I was. I would definitely say I was. I am a huge horror buff. I'm also a huge zombie fan. I, like, <laughs> like I would watch any zombie, anything zombies, good for good or bad. I'll just watch it if it's zombies, right? <laughs> um, and so um, I think that. Um, I use, I do use, I try not to use the influence of film so much, but I don't think that you can kind of remove yourself from that, right? I think everything that we, that we interact with and we see and we learn becomes a part of our work, right? And it becomes a part of who we are and that's a part of our work. But I think that there's so much more there's so many more options that are available when it comes to being able to write than what is necessarily available for um, for film, right? And visually, there's different things happening. So a lot of times, like if I teach a film class, I'll teach it along the side of the literary work, right? And you know, you can see like there are just certain things that can be on the page that can't be on the film, and vice versa, right? So um, I think that. The way that I write, I do imagine things in my head like a film, like literally. Um, You know, I imagine and I write down what I see, right, in my head. But I don't think, but I imagine, but when I, but when I'm writing it, I'm writing it very much in a literary fashion and not in a, a screenplay fashion, if that makes sense. But that's something that you teach yourself to do. Right. So, um, but um, back to the point. Yes, I do. I do love film. I love film, and I do. Um, and I, I do think it's as important, and maybe even in some cases, um, more because you can reach a, broad, a bigger audience mm-hmm. than so what that you will. Makes me think of what would a Hurston film look like? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I would love to. I would love to see her. I don't know who. One. I would love to see a film about her, mm-hmm. but it scares me what would happen to her if put on film. So I'm kind of happy that she hasn't necessarily been, you know, imagined on film. But but that's also, there's also sadness there because I don't know who could write her, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that would give her justice because she was fantastic, right? In that in that like she just she gave no she she didn't care. Right, she mm-hmm. didn't care, and she's the one. And I think, and I think that's what's important to me about when I think about Afrofuturism, and I think about her. She defined her own terms. She she defined her age. She defined where she was from. She defined how she was born, and she didn't care what other people thought about those things. She tore, told these wild stories, even about her own past. Right. I think at one point she talks about being having being learning to walk because of a a, a cow or something. Right, and it's irrelevant whether or not it was true. The point is, is that that is what, how we are able, she was able to define herself and that's how we know her, mm-hmm. right? We know her through the stories that she tells about herself, through the words in which we, that she described herself, right? And there is nobody else's terms by that. And that is, that, that is Afrofuturism. Would you say that she had that original black girl magic? I would absolutely <laughs> say she has that original black girl magic. Uh, I would say that she picked it up like 
my dissertation, you know, would say that she picked it up like she was black gold magic in that her ancestors were black gold magic. Her ancestors being people like, um, you know, the black Moses, Harriet Tubman, right? Whereas literally we are able to, you know, see someone who is speaking truth to power, right? Someone that is physically doing the work to make sure that people are free. That is resistance in a way that you don't see, let's say, um, that, that w when we talk about, you know, the resistance around black bodies, we often don't get to write about ourselves, right? It's also, it's often told to us, and we're not often telling the stories, right? And we're not often using the words for which black people at the time defined themselves, right? And so someone like Harriet Tubman, who, you know, went through, who, who again, you know, was willing to die for the cause that she believed in, right? Black on magic. Right. Um, absolutely. Zorona Hurston, you know, someone who defined her life by her own terms, black on magic. It is just resistance in a way that is unwilling to acquiesce to the white gaze. Okay. And then when you're speaking with students about um, black on magic, with black resistance, um, what is that process like? Do you get pushback? Are people curious? Right. So one of the things that I think is so important in my classes, because we have to get to a point to where they're willing to accept or at least willing to acknowledge certain things are existing, right? Um, and But then why? Why is it like, you know, what is the purpose? Like if, if we come into the class and we just start talking about black girl magic, okay, so why is this a big deal, right? So it's important to define a historical context for students, right? So I do start back in the past and I look at the reasons for which black people and black bodies have had to resist in society, right? So what is it that slavery looked like? What what was happening, you know, in the past, right? Why is it that we had resistance movements like Nat Turner, that we had, you know, resistance figures like um, Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, right? Who are these people, right? And you know what happened around these times. So once we we define what historic history looks like for Black bodies, then we can look at what resistance looks like. Why resist in these ways and not in other ways, right? Why is it that we don't get to define the way that oppressed bodies resist, right? What is it, you know, that that this looks like for these groups of people? So yeah. Okay, and then when I think of that. I think of resistance as endurance as well. So mm -hmm. just the endurance of Eatonville mm -hmm. itself. Exactly. So how do you see just the the, the conference mm -hmm. um, continuing and furthering Hurston's legacy? I think it seems really really cool. Um, I think that um, like just like the fact that and I was I was unaware until relatively recently that they have been you know here keeping you know her voice and her memories and you know her words and all of this alive and just being here and watching the kids come in right and you know learning about like this woman like that many people won't have learned about like 